So I'm sitting here with Lisa Justice, who is a member of the staff at First Presbyterian Church of Concord, and we've been talking about doing a podcast together for a while because I think we're both sort of experienced churchgoers, and we're at that stage in life where we have, you know, we've begun to reflect on our experiences, if you will, and also because she has a great sense of humor, and I think um, we'll all just really appreciate getting to know her. So the, the topic that we picked for this first podcast uh, may not sound super Christmassy, but may resonate with some people as they consider uh, some of what makes this season uh, stressful for them, and that is managing conflict within the family. Um, you know, Christmas brings, the holidays bring many wonderful opportunities to fellowship with people, but, you know, they can also be times where people really get on each other's nerves and, you know, people really have to spend some time kind of thinking about who they're going to be at that Christmas table. And so what I thought we would do today is we would talk a little bit about how the Bible or what the Bible might have to teach us about managing conflict. So with that, we're going to do sort of a question-answer kind of format. And um, so I guess I'm going to turn it over to Lisa for her first question. Sounds good. I definitely have some questions. Um, it seems like for a lot of us, Conflict is just inevitable when you yeah. get together with certain people, especially your family. You have expectations for each right. other, and right. it's kind of a high-stakes sort of situation. Are there ways to prevent conflict, that, mitigate it? That is a very good question. I I spent some time thinking about sort of three main approaches to conflict from the Old Testament this last week in preparation for this podcast. One approach I'm going to talk about quickly is Proverbs. What makes Proverbs interesting when you think about conflict and argument is Proverbs really places a lot of emphasis on being a person, honestly, of few words, like really mm. weighing your language mm. and being thoughtful about the things that you say. It also has this, this sort of bad guy. The bad guy of the Psalms is the wicked person. The bad guy oftentimes in the book of Proverbs is the fool. And so there's also a lot of attention in that particular book of the Bible to the question of who are you talking to? Are you talking to somebody who's really interested in wisdom, in um, you know gaining more insight, or are you talking to somebody who will end up turning you into a fool if you really engage with them? Mm -hmm. Because they're not looking for insight. They're not looking for wisdom they are maybe just looking to talk and to stir things up. So one approach to thinking through conflict from you know sort of using the Bible as a lens is to ask yourself the question, what are the intentions of the person that I'm speaking to? You know, is this an iron sharpens iron situation where two people are really going to hammer something out but they're going to learn and grow from the experience? And I'm not saying that members of your family would be fools. <laughs> but <laughs> Do they bear a resemblance to some of the critiques at Proverbs levels towards the foolish person? And that is they're not really looking to learn anything or to gain an understanding. They're they're looking to potentially sound off. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's sort of along with that. So on the one hand, it's knowing who you're talking to, but it's also knowing what that person might turn you into. Because in Pro in the book of Proverbs, you know, the person who argues with a fool becomes a fool themselves. 
Yeah, there's no way to win that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that's kind of the first approach, I would say. Um, another book or another approach to conflict, especially conflict, family conflict, I think comes from Genesis, where things get to a point between Jacob and his uncle Laban where there's a wonderful moment in their relationship where basically they take a pillar, they take a stone, and they put it between their two territories. And the stone really functions as a marker or a boundary. And the idea is we really need to stay separate. Mm -hmm. You know, we really need to not encroach on each other's territory because we've got too much of a history. We don't have the trust that we need. And although that's a very sort of stark way of thinking about family conflict, I think at its worst, there can be so much water under the bridge that really you just you need to see your, you need to recognize the importance of putting boundaries in place between you and the other person. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that you would sort of encroach on that boundary would be to get into an argument, for example. Um, and really, it's just kind of a don't go there, another sort of don't go there kind of um, kind of approach to family conflict. A third approach that I think may even be has a more of a positive side to it, which I think is is can be really powerful, is this idea of encountering people. And this is I'm sort of taking this from Deuteronomy. There's um, a section. There's a quote in Deuteronomy where it's "You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt." The idea of encountering people, even family members, as strangers has always really appealed to me because when you encounter someone as a stranger in the biblical sort of biblical times or the way the bible wants you to encounter them as a stranger the focus is really on meeting sort of their common human needs so feeding them and clothing them and really being attentive to the to the sort of frailty of the other person um, their need for protection and nurture at the same time, because they're a stranger, you know, you don't expect them to come from the same place as you. Mm-hmm. You really encounter people as coming from almost as if they came from a different land from you. And so you build on the commonalities of food and shelter and protection and clothing, and you focus on those things, but you also change your expectations about how you interact with them in the first place because you don't go in with the expectation that they will agree, in which case you feel aggrieved or angry because they don't see things the same way as you. And I think for me, that's a, also a very um, kind of compelling way of thinking about encountering people, family, friends, whomever, um, where you can, it's a, it's a bit more positive because you're serving them, but your expectations with respect to them are, are different than what they might otherwise be. That's a really good perspective that because when you come into an interaction with someone you've known your whole life or almost your whole life, you bring all that history with you. But if you can set that aside and treat them as you would someone who's more new to you um, and find that common humanity, um, that could be really helpful. That's a nice perspective. And I I kind of, when I think about... um, the practice of welcoming the stranger and sort of that act of hospitality. I was sort of in my head imagine people, you know, incorporating the person into a family meal, but at a certain point, sort of turning to the person and just 
wanting to hear their story. What is your yeah. land like? <laughs> you yeah. know, where do you come from? And really expecting it to be different. And so taking almost bringing an attitude of curiosity to the experience oh, yeah. as opposed to um, this kind of um, defensive or anxious uh, sort of approach or, you know, or attitude towards them. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times we kind of head into those interactions a little bit on the defensive because yes. we expect the conflict and we don't yes. want to get hurt. But if you can come in with questions and curiosity right. and expecting to right. learn something new, right. not coming in with the expectation that you already know what's going to happen and exactly. that it's going to be bad. Exactly. You can almost see them as sort of a, a potential storyteller from a, a distant la yeah. land, you know? And yet at the same time, you know what you also, it's not that they're like as alien from outer space. I mean, they're a human. So you know, you do know things that they need. You know that they need food. And so these are things that you can do to, to bridge that distance. Yeah. Um, while at the same time, you know, really allowing them to be in many ways, you know, fundamentally different from you. So there's a sort of sort of Old Testament approaches that I that I thought could, you know, potentially, depending on the situation, could be brought to bear. But I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that for Christians, at least, there's one very important <laughs> character <laughs> in Scripture who actually gets in a lot of arguments with people. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. I think there's a couple things that, uh, that strike me about Jesus. I think um, one of the things about Jesus is typically when you look at the kinds of arguments he gets into— um, or the sort of, yeah, the sort of conflicts he gets into. Usually there's somebody who's on the attack, and he's mm -hmm. not the first person there, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, you know, people are attacking his authority, or people are, um, you know, they're, they're criticizing him. And to a certain extent, he is defining who he, who he is vis-a-vis -vis their attacks. Mm. But even more than that, the thing that strikes me about Jesus when he finds himself in arguments is that he's very frequently defending someone else who really is in need of defense. You know, he's defending his choice to heal someone on the Sabbath, for mm -hmm. example. And what he's pointing out is that this person is really vulnerable and they need, you know, they, they need help, you know. And I think part of what we can draw from that is this idea that as Christians, you know, we're not, we're not going, we're not heading out into the world looking for a fight. Yeah. But at the same time, we may have responsibilities not to protect ourselves so much, um, but to protect others if people do sort of pick fights with us. Um, and so there it's really kind of a matter of asking yourself the question, you know, am I entering into an argument with someone for myself or on the part of someone else, you know? And mm -hmm. again, all the stuff that from the Old Testament still applies. Like if, if you're not gonna be able to change their mind and right. stuff like that, you know? <laughs> but there may be times in families where a person feels called to make a statement in defense of another person. And I think that there's room for that, you know? The thing I would say though, um, and I think this is, Part of the reason why when people find themselves in that position and they take that stand and then they come away feeling really hurt or angry, Jesus, when he takes stands, 
he does not expect that other people are going to agree with him. And he's really Mm -hmm. willing and able to stand on his own. And he's able to um, accept the fact that other people don't, are not necessarily going to change their minds. And many times they're not going to change their minds. So I think, you know, in those moments when we find ourselves needing to protect someone or to stand up for someone or to, um, and we feel genuinely called into um, some kind of an argument or some kind of conflict. I think it's really important there again to make sure that our expectations are this is going to be a form of self-sacrificial love. This mm-hmm. is not going to be about winning, yeah, you know, and walking away the victor. Um, and there again, I think having that expectation can also make it easier mm-hmm. because you recognize what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. You know, you're feeling called to take a somewhat prophetic role. But you're not expecting that your fate is going to be any different from any other prophet. <laughs> right. You know, right. you're going to be the one prophet that everybody loves, especially <laughs> when they're at home with their family. No, that's just not going to be the case. They, yeah, that's not a thing that's going to happen. People may very well want to toss you off a cliff, you know, just as it happened to, to Jesus, you know. Yeah. So. This is good advice, not just for the holiday table, but for everyday life. Well, I don't know about you, Lisa, but I've found as I've gotten older, um, I'm less prone to get drawn into arguments, mm-hmm. um, partly because I think that um, I'm less convinced that they're effective. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm constantly looking for ways to understand how to encounter hostility in other people without it taking me over. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe, maybe sort of the final word that we can share from scripture about hostility is from the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus talks about somebody slaps you on the face, you know, turn the other cheek also. I think one thing that could be said about Jesus is that he's always, he's very interested in ways of encountering hostility that are creative as opposed to ways of encountering hostility that remake you in the mirror image of the person who is hostile. Yeah. You know, and I think his advice to turn the other cheek is a way of saying, don't become another person's hostility. Yeah. You know, find a way to transform it, um, to ensure that it doesn't take you over. Yeah. Because as human beings, we're so, we're so frail and fragile, it's very easy for us to take over um, somebody else's ill will. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to absorb the emotions of others. It really is. It really is. And he, I would have to say that Jesus, as irritable as he can be at times, really, <laughs> you know, he he really is a person who um, I lived a very full emotional life, mm-hmm. but not a reactive emotional life. And I think that's that's part of the the following him that we're we're seeking after in the in the holidays. Yeah, yeah. I think. Maybe one way. I don't know if you have other questions or. I did have one more. Go for it. Go Um, for it. Once conflict has occurred, Mm -hmm. is there any biblical advice about how those relationships can be healed, how that conflict can be overcome? Yeah. I think that is a huge question. Um, I was talking with a pastor recently, and one of the things that she said is we emphasize forgiveness, but we can't push forgiveness on people before they're ready to forgive. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, um, you know, we are called to forgive people, but, but I think this is where the old Testament 
some of the Old Testament's emphasis on boundaries can really come into play. Mm. You know, it's one thing to forgive someone. It's another thing to keep sharing the same territory as them, mm. you know? And I think, um, you know, it's it's always helpful to to see people as on a journey and that the encounter that you've had is a snapshot along the way, mm-hmm. you know? And it doesn't, it's not the essence of who they are, you know? But I think that, I guess in my mind, I'm picturing a really painful, very broken relationship. Mm -hmm. And the tricky thing about reconciliation is it doesn't work if it's only one person. That's very true. You know, you know, reconciliation is something that involves both parties. And unfortunately, both parties are not always equipped or willing, you know, to engage in that hard work. So I guess I guess my advice to someone where it's a, just a very painful relationship is boundaries plus cultivating um, in your own time uh, an experience in a, an experience of forgiveness for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, making sure that your expectations are appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a difference between forgiveness and letting somebody off the hook. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, um, <laughs> I I've on more than one occasion told people that I've, I've provided or I've done pastoral counseling with, you know, you know you're in a relationship with someone who's got a personality disorder when you're really not able to construct a common story together. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when their view of what's going on is that you're always at fault, um, when they're not able to acknowledge your perspective, you know, they're, I mean, there are a lot of people in this world that are very difficult and, and because of sort of struggles that they have may even be impossible to be in relationships with. Mm-hmm. And um, I think understanding that that person is experiencing a kind of form of pain that you don't know, that you, you can't uh, imagine, but that that is nevertheless the case. And then just being very careful about the degree to which you open your life up to them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big believer in that, you know, because, you know, other people can do a lot of damage in a person's life. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of a, a little bit of a, um, a more somber note <laughs> at the end of this, but we obviously are praying that everybody would have a really wonderful Christmas and that um, this time of year would be an opportunity to grow closer to people to see the Christ in them, you know, even if they don't see it in themselves. Yeah. You know, and to just rejoice that um, that we worship a God who forgives us and also forgives that other person. Yeah. You know. And gives us models to live by. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for doing this Oh, you're with very me. welcome. Um, like I said, it's, it's fun to do these podcasts. Lisa knows this very well. I don't like to write. Um, so this is an opportunity for me to talk through some of the things that I've been thinking about um, without having to put pen to paper. And so I, I very much appreciate that. Merry Christmas season, everyone. Merry Christmas.